This is the second hour of Truth Jihad Radio's live special edition broadcast every Friday evening, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern. You can also listen to these shows archived. You get the quickest access by subscribing to my Substack, which is kevinbarrett.substack.com. You can also get access to the Revolution Radio archives and support Revolution Radio by going to revolution.radio. Okay, let's get going with our number two. The Quran tells Muslims both that the people who call themselves Christian will be the closest in love and affection to Muslims. It also says that don't take the Jews and Christians as your allies slash friends. And how do we reconcile those two seemingly contradictory passages? Well, Sheikh Imran Hussein tells us that the business about not taking Jews and Christians as our allies and friends, what that really means is Jews and Christians are bracketed. That would be the Judeo-Christians or that group that would include the Christians who went over to the Jewish project of Zionism. So don't take the Zionists, whether Jewish or Christian, as your friends, is the real meaning of that. And I, I think he's onto something. And that means that we can, we Muslims, can be friends with Christians. And indeed, uh, I am. Uh, my friends include Dr. E. Michael Jones, we had on the first hour, and Scott Bennett, the U.S. Army PSYOPs officer and now whistleblower. Uh, Scott and Mike and I have hung out in places like Iran uh, and we have met elsewhere, and it's always really good to get a chance to talk to these guys. And is this, you know, we, we got to talk back in August with Dr. Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, the former president of Iran. And here we are again tonight, uh, touching bases. So, hey, Scott Bennett, good to have you back. Kevin, it's such an honor to always be with you, my brother. I, I love talking with you, and, and so much has been happening. And I'm so glad you introduced the show with that that loving tribute about, you know, Muslims having Christians as their friends. Cause I was just over there and I'll tell you, I've never, I've never seen such a loving, hospitable people as I did the Lebanese and the Palestinians. And I walked away with such a transformed state of mind and being that you were one of the few people I, I kept thinking about. <laughs> and I thought, boy, I'd love to sit down with Kevin and just really meditate on all of these wonderful experiences that I've had over there. And uh, I know you've you've done it and seen it too. And it's it is something that definitely drives me to to unite the the Muslims over in all of these places with a closer love with uh, the true Christians, the real Christians. Uh, so it's it's a wonderful honor to be with you, my friend. Well, thank you, Scott. So maybe tell us a little more about your trip to Lebanon and, and Palestine. Well, it was uh, a thorn in the eye of the deep state, <laughs> which, of course, gave me a great deal of pleasure. And uh, I won't divulge too much of of, uh, you know, how I how I uh, got over there and stuff. I know the deep state were freaking out. They couldn't understand how I got out of the country and got back. So, so if, you, if you told me uh, they, they'd have to kill me. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to put you in any jeopardy. But they they weren't happy about it. I'll put it this way: when I was over there, just they had to cut my ship my trip short because a Zionist Mossad element, no doubt, fired a uh, twenty rounds of an AK forty seven into the hotel 
after I'd done this media presentation that I was told, Scott, it's time for you to go. Jeez. <laughs> so, wow. So That's quite a tribute. That. It's like a there 21 was, gun salute. Yeah. <laughs> there was definitely a, uh, an implosion of the deep state. And so I was over there as, as part of the Palestinian literature award. They had given me award for my book shell game, which was a military whistleblowing report about, uh, just telling the truth about the, the wars that were cultivated by the neocon Zionist project for new American century, Dove Zakheim, uh, you know, all of these usual criminals that should be hung and, and uh, executed or dug up from the grave and hung again like Rumsfeld. But I went over there to receive that award and uh, had a wonderful time in Beirut and traveled and saw things that no American has ever seen. But every American needs to see and know, at least they need to know about these Palestinian prisons that the Jews, the the, the Zionists put these poor Lebanese Palestinians in and tortured them, electrocuted them, put them in steel boxes and just tortured these people for defending their homeland against invasion and uh, meeting some of these prisoners that uh, were giving the tours and telling us of their their tales. And it's it is it, it's remarkable. I've never encountered a people with such a resiliency of spirit yet with with such a love and a gentleness of spirit as I have the, the Palestinian uh, Lebanese people. There's an enormous presence of God in their forgiveness. And because I was I you know, I was thrown in jail by the Obama administration and tortured. But compared to what these poor souls went through, I mean, I was on Fantasy Island. They were they were truly subjected to horrors that were beyond the human imagination. And the entire world should cut off Israel and these Zionist warmongers for doing this. They should they should completely isolate Israel for what it's done to the Palestinian Lebanese people and territory. But the the world doesn't know. They cover it up. The Zionist media covers it up. But when I was well, on the it's, ground, it's interesting that, that people like you and Dr. E. Michael Jones, who you know are conservative Christians who tell the truth about these things, are you get you know no media coverage, certainly no favorable media coverage. But then, like Jordan Peterson, the supposedly conservative Christian guy who's been promoted so much by the Zionist controlled media that he's he's quite wealthy now, uh, he goes over there and who does he hang out with? Bibi Netanyahu. He never goes oh. to see any of the Palestinians. Oh, my God. Why? Well, you know, Jordan Peterson, I've I've heard a few things that he said. I've listened to him and I, I like some of the things he said, but he doesn't yeah, me strike too. me. He doesn't strike me as a real deep, honest Christian, uh, unified with God sort of person. I, you know, I don't know him, but I, I can tell people if they have the real spirit of God. And I'll tell you this, Kevin, the people over there that I encountered had the spirit of God in them, the, the kindness, the warmth, the light in their face and their smiles there. I mean, I was meeting with people in Hezbollah and Habas. I mean, I was right in the middle of the Hezbollah studios, giving presentations, giving uh, press releases. You, you, press you were in the El Manar studios? The Hezbollah studios. Yeah, right? yeah, because yeah. El Manar is their channel. Okay, yeah. I uh, forgive my lack of pronunciation, but I mean, I, I just went where they, you know, said, Mr. Bennett, we'd like to do an interview. And I said, okay, let's go. So I was I was enthusiastic and joyful and radiant everywhere I went because I wanted to be an ambassador of love. 
And uh, being in these studios, of course, they said, you know, aren't you afraid of being assassinated? Aren't you afraid for your life? And I said, no, God shall perfect all that concerneth me. He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I have never encountered anyone with a spiritual affinity to those words in God in America, Kevin. I found them over there in Palestine and Lebanon covering their heart saying, you know, you know, praise be to God, salam alaikum, alaikum salam. I've I've encountered real spiritual people over there. I don't see them over here in the United States. And it follows, you know, a political, social, spiritual trend that we've been measuring here in the United States. And that is, is God taking his blessing entirely off of the United States? Is he deforming into Sodom and Gomorrah? Is he turning us into Nebuchadnezzar that eats grass for seven years, losing our minds? I think he is because of the COVID-19 vaccine, because of the wokeism, the LGBT, the homosexuality. No one over there in the Middle East supports any of that, nor do I, and nor do you, nor do anybody else with the same mind. But in this country, in America, they tolerate it or they, they accept it and promote it. Well, I don't tolerate it, and I don't accept it and promote it. And it was only there in the in the Muslim lands did I find a quiet, head shaking. Oh no, 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 no. We don't we don't have anything to do with that. And Russia is the same thing. Russia doesn't have anything to do with that. No, that's, that's probably why we have a crusade going against Russia and Iran right now. Is precisely to try to force these kinds of values down their throats. And I think it's going to fail. I think it already is failing. I think Biden is a sim- symbolic failure for the country. I do not subscribe to this glorious uh, flag-waving celebration of Republicans coming into office because they didn't earn it. They didn't stand up and say anything righteous. They just kind of rode on the wave of the Democrat implosion. Well, it's easy to do that. The Democrats were imploding because they're insane. Everything they've been doing has been insane, but the Republicans didn't stand up and do anything righteous or bold or courageous or constitutional, or they didn't stand up and say, we will never allow this country to fall into a tyranny of the COVID-19 shutdown again. They didn't say any of that. Well, a few few of them said some things like that. Ron Johnson here in Wisconsin actually did say something. I actually went out and knocked on doors for him the first time I ever supported any mainstream candidate for high office to that extent. Just because he he was uh, amazingly courageous on the COVID issues. I don't I don't like everything about him, but, uh, you know, I I do admire him as a courageous individual who's willing to risk problems to speak out on this you know big issue of of the COVID scandals, including the the mega scandal of the COVID origins. And, And he's right there. So, uh, you know, I, I was happy to see Ron Johnson win. But, you know, in the first hour, uh, E. Michael Jones said that he thought that the red wave wasn't as big as had been anticipated, in part because the abortion issue mobilized a lot of people. And he blamed Catholic women who he said had de facto committed to Judaism because E. Michael Jones says that abortion is a Jewish sacrament, or at least that's what the rabbis have been saying. And so the Catholic women who want their abortions uh, are de facto Jews, says E. Michael Jones, and they're voting for uh, for Jewish approved candidates, uh, especially uh, Democrats, in order to preserve their abortion rights. So that, that was an interesting conversation. And I, I think that might be one of the reasons, uh, certainly what a lot of mainstream pundits are saying, 
that the anticipated red wave wasn't as big as uh, had been expected. Uh, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, well, I would agree with you, Michael Jones. I mean, he's very, very smart. And I do agree with you, Larry. Uh, uh, Ron Johnson is probably one of the best people out there. Uh, I've spoken with his investigators before. He was the only one who had a hearing on the COVID-19 uh, uh, damage that it's done to military personnel. And that's the the real act of genocide is this shot that has been killing and wounding and, and doing all sorts of uh, depopulation effects. Ron Johnson's the only one who's talked about it. Um, you know, the, the, the country I think is in a, in a schism of, of, you know, maybe two thirds have got the shot. They're all going to be dead and one third haven't. And what's going to happen, you know, what, what's going on in the country. You, without uh, Scott, how, what's your time frame for they're all going to be dead? I, I'm, I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical about that. I, I think, yeah, I'll, I, I, I'm sure there will be I suspect there will be a lot of deaths, and I've seen estimates it could be in the you know up, up into the six figures already. But and also the fertility impairing effects. Oh are, yeah, now that that's what I would expect to see. It looks like we are seeing a downturn in fertility. But as far as like everybody's gotten the jab, dying, I just don't see any evidence for that. Well, I I. I'm not I'm not a you know an expert on the thing I'm just kind of synthesizing everything I've heard from the doctors and scientists that I've talked to or interviewed and such and I you know I do know of friends of mine who have uh one gal married a guy and she, <clears throat> she's had four miscarriages he got the shot she did not but she's had four miscarriages and she's 20 years old so there's something seriously wrong with that I know Dr. Tenpenny has talked about a little girl in her care that was like two years old, went to her grandparents' house and, and came back. Her grandparents had the shot. The little girl did not. And then she started having vaginal bleeding issues from the shedding. So there's there's something wrong there. Everybody's immune system is different, but I think that the overall – uh, the the overall prognosis is that this COVID-19 has changed the DNA immune system of people. So the immune system is that depreciates and decays and, and uh, weakens, then you're going to have the flowering of diseases and sicknesses. So I'm not saying everybody's going to be dead by Christmas, but I think you're going to see a lot of people die over the cold and flu season uh, in the next six months, uh, I think you're going to see an increase in the mental uh, Alzheimer dementia sort of slowness, the brain fog that they've been, uh, you know, maybe, maybe this explains who, who we've been electing. You know, we, we elected a, a cognitively sure. impaired candidate uh, who won in Pennsylvania, this uh, Fetterman that beat Dr. Oz. We elected a dead candidate also in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, and of course, we do have a kind of a seemingly somewhat cognitively impaired commander in chief. So maybe uh, the electorate itself is becoming cognitively impaired thanks to these jabs and voting for cognitively impaired candidates. Will, will the whole government soon be cognitively impaired? Well, I, I, I think it's inevitable, to be honest with you. I mean, what happens when you pour bleach into the toilet bowl? It takes a while for it to fill the entire cavity. But it, it, you know, as time progresses, the, you know, it, it does that. And I think this is going to take some time to progress throughout the entire June poll of the continent. But everybody who's gotten this, I think, is going to slowly decay and degenerate. L let's make it real easy. This shot isn't doing anything good whatsoever. There's I nothing positive. Yeah. So 
You've given a shot that's not doing anything positive. It's only going to hurt, decay, wound, damage, and and uh, degenerate people. Well, you've already seen overwhelming evidence of heart inflammations and athletes falling down dead and blood clots, people pulling out these long, sinuous, uh, rubber worm-looking blood clots from people. I mean, scary, weird stuff. So this thing is a scary, weird thing, and then you see the mental delusion that's come upon this country. I have never, I mean, when I was growing up in the 70s and the 80s, the 1980s were the best time in the world. You know, you had the best music, and everybody was kind of happy under Reagan. But now I, I look at this country, and I think we are turning into a bunch of retard mongoloids, schizophrenic, uh, narcissistic, nail-biting, paranoid uh, uh, I mean, just subhumans. And I don't say that with any criticism. No, no, is, is, is that a medical diagnosis, Scott? It, it's sort of a psychological <laughs> profile from, from yeah. my, you know, period as a psyop officer. I look at people and go, what is, what's going on in their heads? What's wrong what's, with you people? <laughs> what's wrong with you people? That's exactly right. And they, That's what I've been saying ever since I took a look at the controlled demolitions of 9-11. Yes. Yeah. What is wrong with you people? You know, they were playing that again, uh, your interaction with uh, uh, Hannity, and it, it's striking the stupidity of this country to have, uh, you know, in the, in the sellouts of this country that have followed and, and supported the whole 9-11 fraud story. And I took the book back to Lebanon and gave it out to a great deal of people, the 9-11 uh, story that um, uh, we had done with all the different various authors and such with, um, uh, well, Barbara Honiger, Jim Fetzer, yourself, um, the, the, the editor of that, uh, what was his name? God, it escapes him for the press. I'll pull yeah, it up. The editor of, of what? Uh, the nine 11 truth, Robert David Steele. Remember that book? We oh, yeah. oh yeah. Yeah. So I took that back there and shared that with a lot of people and in country and they were very appreciative, but mm. they know the, they know the truth of that. I think it's, it's, uh, it's it's growing slowly but surely, but we'll see what's happening upon the country. I don't anticipate a lot of, of uh, hope. I think the country's going to break up because a lot of these places, whoever has gotten the shot are not going to get better. But, you know, the only thing that you can say is you have a limited amount of time, but whoever have gotten the shot, I think it's, it's going to be a downward spiral. And then it's going to come to how is the country going to evolve out of it? And then you bring it the, the war. I hope I hope it's not that bad. My my sense, Scott, would be that despite the damage done by the shot, and I don't know if we'll really have a strong sense of how significant and, and how widespread that'll be for a while. But we are we're definitely starting to see all kinds of indications that there are a lot of these problems. Some that you mentioned, and, and I think the fertility one is the one that I've uh, really seen evidence for. Uh, so who knows, you know, but, but, you know, everybody's different. Everybody has a different immune system. Everybody is different physiologically. And I would guess that these ill effects of the COVID shots will disproportionately affect, you know, some people a lot more than others. So I don't think it's going to kill everybody off or even like necessarily massively damage everybody, but I think it's going to be bad enough that 
it's quite likely they won't be able to deny it anymore. But then you ask yourself, well, how bad does it have to get before they can't deny it anymore? And you look at history, you look at the things they do deny, like 9-11 or JFK, or the polio monkey viruses yeah. that killed perhaps millions. Uh, it, some estimates have the majority of cancer deaths up through the 80s, I think. Uh, as being caused by these monkey viruses in the polio shots in the 1950s. And they covered that up. Uh, yeah. Read, read uh, Halverson's book, or uh, Edward Haslam, uh, his book on uh, Dr. Mary's monkey, for the details on that. So if they cover that stuff up, you know, they can. And now the, the evidence for this harm from these uh, COVID-19 vaccines is very clear. Yeah, you know, it's not like clear that it's going to kill everybody, but it's certainly clear that there are all it's off the charts compared to all other uh, vaccines. And some of those earlier vaccines have been pretty bad, too. So it's it's getting so bad that I would really wonder whether, you know, how long will it be before the mainstream has to admit there's a problem? It seems like they're sort of half admitting it already as authorities in different countries are backing off on vaccine requirements. But I wonder if there will be any kind of popular outcry or rebellion or whether people will have been so dumbed down and perhaps when they're sickened, they can't they won't have the energy to rebel. So I, I don't know. Do you, do you, you said you thought the country might break up and that would require a whole lot of people being angry enough to start some trouble. <laughs> so. Well, I, I think it's I think it's a quiet revolution. I think quietly people like myself and yourself and others are are are, are saying and, uh, you know, only within certain populations or, or circles of friends. But we're saying, no, we don't watch the mainstream media. They're liars. They're fools. They're 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 enemies, period. No, we don't listen to politicians. They're liars. They're fools. They're enemies. No, we do not have any fellowship or anything to do with these, uh, you know, people or, or or agencies that are that are advancing this narrative. There's a there's a there's a, a coming out. There's a separation that's happening, a quiet one. But I think people are in the you know, there's more people in the camps that are that are that are separating themselves from the mainstream media narrative and and not getting these shots and not buying into this whole woke agenda. That's that's the real, um, you know, migration of people out of that ideology. And, you know, because the other side, those people that believe in wokeism and all that stuff. To me, they're ferocious, fanatical, angry, fascists, you know, just losing their minds. They're becoming more and more like mad dogs, and that's only going to get worse. They're never going to get better. They're never going to get reasonable. They're never going to get, well, let's, you know, let's come together and, and how do we what, – what's in the best interest of the United States of America? They don't care about that. They have a, a zeal for self-destruction, and, and I, you know, I, I'm, I'm amazed at it. I really do see the country – Big portions of it going down the road of implosion, self-psychological implosion of, of nervous breakdowns. I see that happening more and more and more. And I think, honestly, Kevin, it's, it's a spiritual karmic sort of payback for all of the death and destruction that we've unleashed on the world for 20 years. It's coming back to haunt us. God, you know, God says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I shall repay and this country is being repaid for the death and the destruction and the, the horrors that we've unleashed on Afghanistan, on Iraq, on Libya, on Syria, on Lebanon, on Iran, on Ukraine. 
Now, Ukraine, of course, we've talked about before, this whole biochemical labs that the United States planted over there, that the Russians have presented evidence has actually been the origin of the COVID-19 animal-to-human transmission and all of the connections there. I think you will see that inevitably come out. And it was not China that invented this. It was the United States. And the COVID-19 vaccine was part and parcel to it. Well, that, that's so, what Jeffrey Sachs has said. And, and Ron Johnson yeah. name-checked uh, Jeffrey Sachs to me when we had a, a few minutes of one-on-one conversation last summer. So, yeah. Well, I did a Death Factories documentary with RT in 2020, or uh, um, uh, May, uh, April, May of 2020. And that was a year and a half before Russia went into Ukraine. Now, they knew about these biochemical labs, and it it was actually when we were in Iran, there were certain people coming up presenting these materials saying there's going to be a war over this. So way back in 2018, they knew of the biochemical labs that the U.S. had there. And it has been a a genocidal, you know, targeting Slavic DNA uh, war campaign. And, uh, you know, Trump was Trump was sending weapons back there, too. And, of course, it started under Obama. But I think this is the great uh, the the great war, the crime against humanity that needs to be fully exposed, because you're going to. The other thing is, look at what's going to be happening to Europe because of this Ukraine situation, because of the desperation to cover this Ukraine crime up that the United States have been part of, and that's why they've been giving money to Zelensky. You've got Europe now cutting off all of its gas, all of its fertilizer, all of its oil. Its businesses are shutting down. The entire continent is going to fall into a dark age. For Ursula von Leyen and Macron and Schultz and these other globalist, green, climate-worshipping wokists, I think you're going to see Europe fall into a massive revolution and and uh, you'll have a lot of these political leaders overthrown and killed because people are going to be freezing and dying over the next six months. Now, do you think there's any possibility of a peace treaty before that that would save people from the worst of that? Because one interpretation of what's going on now with the Russians pulling back to the east bank of the Dnieper River and abandoning uh, the city of Kherson is, uh, for instance, Pepe Escobar's recent article suggests that what's really going on is a covert uh, peace plan that would involve Russia retreating to the east side of the Dnieper, making that the de facto border uh, between Russia and Ukraine. And that way, the Ukrainian side could you know, claim that, hey, the Russians you know, gave something big up. They had said that Kerrison was going to be Russian forever and they gave it up. So we got something. And then the Russians could say, well, we got what we wanted, which was a freeze on NATO expansion and uh, and the Donbass region. And so that peace treaty is apparently one possibility or something along those lines. Uh, it remains to be seen whether the American side would go for that. And perhaps they are going to go for it because they recognize, as you said, that if they don't, there's going to be a revolution in Europe this winter. So what do you think? Do you think the uh, the American strategists are smart enough to go for that peace treaty now and uh, save Europe from uh, from turmoil this winter or not? You know, honestly, I don't think I don't think the, the U.S. are smart enough to appreciate that or humble enough to appreciate it. I think they're they're reckless and suicidally narcissistic and uh russia will win of course and russia will carve out the terms and russia will make their declarations and say this is how it is we're done 
And if you cross this, we're going to destroy you. We're going to cross. We're going to destroy anything that comes across here. They're not going to be asking permission. They're not going to be negotiating with the EU. I think Russia needs to completely look at NATO and the EU as dissolved entities and deal with European countries individualistically and go to Luxembourg and Sweden and France and Germany and all these places and deal with them on an individual country by country basis and say Russia won't invade you. You won't invade us. We'll we'll sell you gas, period. We're fine. We're done. Good. And and no more economic sanctions between Luxembourg and Russia or France and Russia. I think that's going to be the wave of the future because they have to they have to dissolve and get past this fourth Reich of a of a EU that swallows up all the individuality of Europe and says, you know, well, we are the European Union. No, you're not. You are all a composite of different smaller countries and cultures and languages and heritages and histories. And uh, there's never been a singular EU or a European continent or European people. They're all different breeds and tribes. And I think I, Russia is going to you know, recognize and apply that. But I do uh, I do think they are going to look for an opportunity to uh, you know throw down the sort of the peace plan and say, OK, let's just draw this line here and draw this line here. And uh, that's it. I do. Th- I, I think Russia will not surrender any Russian speaking people or or territories to be ruled by Ukrainians ever again because of the horrors that they the Nazi uh, Ukrainians have unleashed on the Eastern Europe, on the Eastern Ukrainians. The, the, the Russian speaking people, Russia is not going to let those people be ruled by these savages ever again. And I think Russia is going to take Odessa and it's going to take all the major uh, financial uh, powerhouses of Ukraine in order to preserve and basically own that wealth. Uh, because it's you know there's no there's no reason to give anything to Ukraine. Zelensky is a madman, a lunatic. So is Poland. Uh, there you know the, there's very few of these countries that have any uh, decency left. And I, I think Russia knows that you know it's 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 dealing with the dysfunctional U.S. and West. I do think it's it's going to it's going to have back channel communications with these European countries. Uh, that are going to go around the U.S. <clears throat> because look at what the U.S. did to Nord Stream 2. That was a purely U.K.-U.S. operation. And it's it's uh, guaranteed that Germany and these uh, European countries are, are going to go through some uh, terrible winter. So I, I think Russia's won this whole thing, but I think uh, the, the, the peace settlement is going to come at Russia's overture. And not Americas and not the Europeans, uh, because we do not have the humility uh, to to admit where we're wrong or admit, you know, defeat and say, let's just call it quits. We are going to pursue a uh, a pathological re- religious zealotry, just constantly trying to hit Russia. And the danger is if Russia gets really pissed off, are we going to be hit? in our own territories. Now, Russia doesn't want to do that because it wants to win the hearts and minds of the European, the American people. And it is. But I wouldn't be surprised if you have uh, nuclear events going off like they did to Fukushima. I could see the U.S. setting off uh, similar cyber attacks on Zaporozhia or elsewhere. 
to try and you know amplify this fight into something more. Yeah, it's uh, that. Well, this is one of the reasons why the smart move from the U.S. standpoint would be to try to get that that peace treaty. I, I I think you're right, and it seems that a lot of the world has recognized that Russia is going to win one way or another. Uh, the vast majority of the world is not respecting these sanctions on Russia, and Iran. Well, is, Kevin, uh, look, you know. Kevin, look. Russia has how many countries does Russia have on its side? It's got India. It's got China, it's got Iran, it's got Brazil, it's got Mexico. Even Turkey. Turkey. <laughs> Covertly, yeah. So Russia's won two-thirds of the world. We've got what? America, Canada, Australia, Britain, uh, Germany and France are our slaves. But if they're overthrown in a yellow jacket color revolution – uh, by uh, by people rising up, and I could very easily see a Hitlerian personality rising up in Germany saying, we are done with the U.S. Look at what they've done to us. We're not their slaves. We're not going to let them blow up Nord Stream. We are reuniting with Russia, and we're not going to have anything to do with the United States. I could see that happening very easily because of the damage that we've unleashed on these countries. So I, I do not see uh, the West winning any friends or coming out of this uh, in, in any positive way. I, I see us losing big time. And at the end of the day, we're going to have Australia, Canada, the United States, Britain, and that is it. Well, what, what do you think about Dr. Ahmadinejad's suggestion that this fall of the, what do we call it, the Anglo-Zionist empire, the American empire, or what have you, is going to open the doors for a possible great uh, rise in the uh, kind of stature of humanity. That is, people will become more humane. Uh, he, he has this very utopian vision of how humanity could really flower in, in the coming uh, period. And it's it kind of struck me as kind of weirdly at odds with the stuff I do every day as I pursue my career as an alternative journalist and pundit as I look at all this horrible stuff that's going on, the kind of stuff we're talking about, and then listening to Dr. Ahmadinejad basically saying, well, everybody can talk to everybody now thanks to the Internet, and so humanity is becoming one, and that's going to allow us to flower into this whole new state where we don't fight anymore, and we can, all, you know, we can resolve our differences peacefully and amicably and even with, with love for each other. So he has this very uh, utopian kind of uh, vision. And he expresses it in very abstract language, which, you know, kind of frustrates me because I, I want to get at some specifics. And I guess yeah. I'm an English teacher at heart. And I always tell these, you know, a lot of very smart students who write in abstract jargon, you know, like philosophers that, you know, it's totally unreal. You can't figure out what the heck they're trying to say. And I, yeah. I felt a little bit of that with Dr. Ahmadinejad's uh, utopianism. Anyway, we, we yeah. did that seminar with him, which is now published. And I wondered, you know, how, how do you feel about it? Do you think that we can get through this period of, of chaos and decline of empire and then actually get to something better? Well, you know, I'm glad you raised that because I've been thinking a lot of that too. And I've, I've meditated on this and it, my, my revelation, my, my understanding of, of that. And I share your, your idea and, and kind of quizzical criticism of the whole utopian language and rhetoric and things like that. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit, you know, struck about that whole thing too, because I don't agree with a lot of it, but 
when I stepped back and I looked at this whole thing, I'm struck by this observation, and that is, and I think it'll resonate with your experience too, the Iranians, the Persians, the Middle Eastern, in a sense, do not, they have a different culture, a different personality, and they have a different sense of vengeance and spiritual retribution and and moving forward in time and action. Um, and, and from the West, from America, in America, in the West, we're we're much more aggressive. We're much more. It's all about us. It's all dependent on us. We have to take the move. We have to do this. This, you know, we're much more hyper controlling of the <clears throat> evolution of our lives and destiny and and choices and, and policies and stuff like that. Whereas in the Middle East and Iran, they kind of have a. God's in charge, let it flow, and we're not going to be pursuing vengeance against the United States for all of the crimes and the bloodshed and 9-11 and everything bad that's been done by America. We're going to let God figure it out. We're going to let him take care of it. God shall perfect all that concerneth me. I honestly think that is the fulcrum point that differentiates our Western philosophical, moral, political uh, drive compared to the Muslim world political, uh, philosophical, uh, moral drive. They are more um, allowing for the invisible spiritual powers that be to execute judgment and and, uh, retribution and punishment and justice. Uh, Justice is probably the best word. They're much more you know, hey, like almost like a Timmy, a Jimmy Buffett sort of swinging on the hammock. Just let it go. God will work it all out. I that's think interesting that, you say that because one of one of the ninety nine names of God is Al Muntaqin, which could be translated as the Avenger, uh, or you know, one who prevails over his enemies and punishes them for the, for their sins. But the idea is that that only you know God is really the the only true Avenger. That that is people's you know karmic blowback. Uh, is yeah. ultimately going to come from God, not from you. I think that's the the issue, Kevin, is that they are aware of that and they embrace that and they will allow that. And that what that means is as the West descends into madness and insanity and aggression and civil wars and breakup, there will be people coming out and and coming to the Muslim world and the Muslim speakers of countries and such saying, we never knew. We're sorry. We're we we we're, we're horrified. Whatever it is, there's going to be a mea culpa. And the, the Muslim world people are sure are going to say, we forgive you. We we love you. We we want to please God, not please each other, not please ourselves, but please God. That's the big difference that the Muslim world embraces that. And as the West decays and implodes by the COVID-19, by the wokeism, by the LGBT, Sodom and Gomorrah, paranoia, all the stuff that we've sown in our own country are going to start going off like firecrackers in a tin bucket. And, uh, you know, we, we know who the good people are and the bad people are and the crazy people are. Well, America is going to be a big pot of crazy, bad and good people going off. But, as we start to just go berserk, uh, good people will, I think, uh, be, be reconciling with a lot of these uh, Muslim countries. And I do think that's where Ahmadinejad's orientation flows from. 
He flows from the position of forgiveness and vengeance as gods. And as the insanity of the left uh, consumes itself, good people will come out of that. And I I know that because I remember raising a certain point of this with his assistant when we did the pre-interview. I said, what about all of this wickedness and sin? And And he said, we we don't deal with that. We don't we don't give any attention or energy to that. We focus on the good. You get married, you get have children, you focus on having positive, productive lives, and you don't waste any time uh, battling with the, the evil or the sinful or the wicked. And I've, you know, I've heard people say that before, but it's a profoundly uh, different sort of philosophical orientation. And, and that is you don't waste time getting stuck in the world of darkness and wickedness and sin. You focus on the light. You focus on good things, good activities, good good things that are pleasing to God. And I think that's where Ahmadinejad's impulse flows from, is the sense of forgiveness and focusing on doing good, not having vengeance. And isn't that the opposite of what the propaganda that the Zionists fill the Americans with? Oh, the world hates us. The Muslim world hates us. They're going to exact retribution on us. They're going to come and invade our country. And Sean Hannity says they're going to come and they're going to invade, you know, Florida, Mexico, uh, New York. We have to go out and hit them first so they don't come here. Isn't that the constant paranoid, delusional mantra that they've been pure, you know, spitting at us since 2001? We have to go fight them before they come here. Well, Ahmadinejad and the rest of them are saying, we, we, we're, we're not coming there. We don't want to fight. We're not looking for conflict. We don't want conflict. We want to please God. That's where I think the fulcrum has shifted, Kevin, is, and I've seen that my profound experiences over there with these people and, and yourself, of course, too. I've, I've sensed that is the difference. There's a forgiveness and there's a presence and there's a love of God and love of good and love of family and love of traditional values and the natural law that permeates and, ma- and, and just animates the, the entire personality and culture over there. And the opposite is true here. We do not have spiritual animation in our laws and in our institutions and in our education or anything. This country is, is descending into Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's, it's sad, but it's also inevitable. And it's, you know, yes, we want to stand up for righteousness. We want to defend the pure, the good, and the beautiful. And we want to have a, 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 a voice for morality. But at the same time, I, I'm sure, you know, Lot was saying the same thing in Sodom and Gomorrah. And God eventually said, no, it's time to go. Well, in the spiritual sense, I think God may be saying that too. America is not what it was 50 years ago. It has descended into decadence and death, and that is according to the timeline of God's plan for Earth. And it's just kind of my intuition. Uh, well, Scott, you've certainly come a long way from back after, shortly after 9-11 when you were the U.S. Army Psychological Warfare Officer. And at that time, the task of PSYOPs was basically to make people hate Muslims so we could yeah. get them to go out and kill in these wars. And uh, you've, you've certainly done a 180-degree turn <laughs> from that. Uh, yeah. So what do you think about the problem that Mike Jones was alluding to in the, or discussing, actually, openly in the first hour? Uh, the Germans are now kind of self-hating. They've internalized the myth of German villainy 
And it's been taught that, you know, they were the villains in both world wars, especially the second. And they did these horrific, unspeakable crimes and so on and so forth. In reality, of course, it's not clear that the Germans' crimes were actually any bigger than anybody else's. But in the myth, of course, in the consciousness of the people of the West, and especially Germany now, the Germans were the ultimate evil villains. And so the Germans have this kind of self-hatred complex, and it allows them to go along with the U.S. blowing up the pipeline that could be very beneficial to them and blowing up their relations with Russia, which could be very beneficial to them and so on. The Germans are are, uh, messed up psychologically by this internalized self-hatred and guilt. Uh, And so if the Americans, uh, and maybe the West in general, but especially the Americans, start internalizing the guilt from what they've done to the Muslims, let's say, after recognizing uh, that 9-11 was a false flag and then feeling horrible, as perhaps they should to a certain extent, about what they've done, could this then... Uh, cause problems with the culture in that, you know, as as I was saying to Mike, every culture likes to try to put itself and its history in a reasonably good light. And it's very rare when a culture like German culture becomes totally self-hating and exaggerates its own faults. And so as Americans wake up to the evil that they've done, as you suggested, how will they preserve a more sort of positive self-image and a positive history? Because we, we see the woke agenda right now includes uh, a totally negative portrayal of uh, of history, and especially of the you know the kind of classic uh, histories that we used to teach here. And so, that, couldn't this become even more of a problem if Americans wake up to the evil that their empire has done, especially post nine eleven? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a good point. It's it's making me see and think that what we are witnessing now. You're right, exactly right on the Germans' self loathing and self hatred from the the psychological uh, damage and brainwashing and beating that they've done for so long. But, you know, you can only beat a dog for so long before it snaps and bites and snarls and goes berserk, right? So Germany is on the verge of that trigger point of going berserk and having a new Hitlerian sort of rise and leadership cast, new leaders rising up, throwing down the gauntlet and tearing off the the clothes of the West and saying, no, we are not an ally of any country. We are the German people, the German tribe, and a a complete redefinition, a rediscovery of identity is is going to transpire. I see that coming. Uh, I see the same thing happening with America, with what you've been talking about. When you recognize the evil that you've done, when you see the truth, when you see the facts, when you see the history, and it automatically obliterates the propaganda and the and the narrative that's been put out by the West media and the politicians since 2000. Then there's the same sort of uh, outrage and going berserk and tearing off the the old identity, saying no, 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 no. So there there's a great uh, sort of uh, coming out of the cocoon or shedding the you know shedding the skin of the old that is is happening. And I think it's I think it is proportional. It, it, it is going to parallel the 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 disintegration of the European Union and the reemergence of, of well, as Dugan said, a multipolar world. Remember, in the early 1980s, you know, and go back to the 70s, too. There was no big international conglomerate presence. There was no EU. There was no European Commission. There was nothing. There was the United States and Russia. 
and you had, you know, everybody else. China was, you know, doing their own thing and you but you had all the European composite countries. And that's when people were, I think, healthiest and everything was most stable. It was not until we started absorbing into these big coagulated uh, global sort of uh, membership clubs and entities, EU and European Commission this and, the, you know, NATO, of course, was always a, a military thing, but that was just symbolic. I think NATO is totally falling apart, but I think we're going to be going in a reverse direction and, and people are going to be shedding the membership and shedding the associations uh, that, that have sprung up over the last 25, 30 years. So I, I think we're going to return to a smaller scale world. Very interesting. Well, your, your take on the EU then is, is quite different from that of the EU top foreign policy chief, Joseph Borrell, who raised some eyebrows a few weeks ago when he said, Europe is a garden and most of the rest of the world is a jungle. And yeah. the jungle could invade the garden. But there might be a little bit of truth to that in that, well, if we imagine that these mRNA vaccines are indeed going to uh, depopulate us to a certain extent, slowing our fertility. The fertility is already so low in the European world, and it's it's down to just about replacement among the native peoples in, in uh, North America. So even with or without the, the effect of COVID, there is this uh, kind of uh, differential between, let's say, African fertility, which is still quite high, and fertility in the U.S. and or North America and Europe, which is much, much lower. And then if you factor in the mRNA vaccines and COVID, you know, COVID and neither COVID nor the vaccines uh, hit Africa very much. So and, and then there's you know, other countries as well with with somewhat higher birth rates than the West. So this you, the garden versus jungle metaphor, of course, was very politically incorrect and uh, and very arrogant. Uh, and, of course, his championing the EU is, is quite ridiculous, as you suggested. However, uh, there is that demographic angle that maybe needs to be addressed. Yeah, well, we studied this when I was back at Heritage Foundation in, in Washington, D.C., way back in 2003 to 2008. And uh, the population winter coming and the, and the demographic uh, uh, you know, failure in Europe and America. And it's, it's only gotten worse. You know, there's the other thing I've studied that's doomed the West, Kevin. And, you know, this is what I saw, too, when I was in the Middle East. There's such a preservation of feminine, uh, delightful women. And they're rejoicing in their feminine gifts and being women and being wives and mothers and being real, you know, girls in, in the most classical feminine sense. And there's no oppression of men on women. There's no brutality. There's there's harmony. You're, you're saying there's still two different separate genders? <laughs> Is that legal? There's, there's a complementariness that I was so refreshed to see. And I, you know, I love talking with the, you know, young Muslim women that were at the conference. And they're very, very genteel and, and polite and everything beautiful that 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 women are. And that that has been a preservative in, in their culture. In America, we have completely abominated the, the feminine mystique. Carl Stern wrote about it in The Flight from Woman. George Gilder wrote about it, Men in Marriage, Sexual Suicide. In the West, since 1960, there has been a slow degeneration, decay, and destruction of the feminine 
ideal that women as mothers and wives and and the gentleness and the and the serenity women existing in an emotional state for a reason because god made them this way for the harmony of of humanity and we in the west have polluted and corrupted and deformed and and tried to rip women out of their natural state it's like taking a fish out of the ocean and uh, putting you know paper wings on it and saying now you're a bird. Well, it ain't gonna work. And we've seen that it doesn't work because of the ferocity and anger and feminism and hatred of men and all of the things that have grown in the last thirty years in America and and culture, pop culture, and and all this other stuff and divorce and we have a a, a an amazingly toxic environment in this country that makes uh you know kind of the natural love and attraction between men and women and and the natural inclination to marriage it is it has been so embittered and cold and twisted that uh that's the other the the main pathology that that afflicts us and i don't i didn't see that over there of course it doesn't exist over there so, you know, I look at these things from a from a, you know, emotional, psychological, social science point of view and I I think I keep saying sadly, we are so full of toxicity that uh it, and you're talking a little bit about that before, the German self-loathing. This, you know, this this causes a mental breakdown in individuals and on societal levels. And and, and in a in an emotional breakdown and a nervous breakdown you have an explosive you have an explosion of energy pent up energy so there's enormous pent up energy in germany there's enormous pent up energy in america you see that in in certain phenomenons such as men going their own way right there's a whole internet subculture of men who are giving up marriage giving up women living their own lives blah 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 and they're almost as mad at women as the feminists are at men yes yes so there's a there's a there's an amazing animosity and toxicity that is brewing in this country that, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's it's an amazing thing to behold. But I didn't see it anywhere in the Middle East, anywhere. It's not there. There's there's still. So, so, so wait a minute. So, so why do these right wing conservative people who share your values and mine, uh, why do they so many of them hate Muslims and Islam? That's the sad thing. I can only say it's the Jewish Israeli Zionist brainwashing and bags of money that they've been giving them and the APAC brainwashing curriculums and the Heritage Foundation briefing books that they give to these politicians. I've seen the briefing books. But it's not just politicians. It's, it's kind of the ordinary people, I mean, you know, the people who comment on some of my articles and stuff. I, mean, I see these, these conservative people with values and, and critiques of a lot of things I can kind of relate to. But a lot of them, you know, they, they just have these bizarre hallucinations about yes. Islam, how much they hate yes. Islam. And, and, you know, so the stuff you're saying you know, wouldn't, wouldn't fit at all with, with their no. worldview. No, they're ignorant, Kevin. They've never been over there. They've never met these people. They've never they've never shared time and meals with them and and spoken intimately. And and that's the sad thing. But there's there's no there's no animosity between the Muslims and Christian people. And there's I mean, I was amazed at the the lack of 
because I was looking at it from an American point of view. I was looking at it like, well, I'd be pissed off. I'd be this. I'd be that. I'd want vengeance. I want to kick the shit out of people who, if they came into my country and broke down this and killed my relatives. But I'm looking at it from an American Western point of view. Their point of view was different. Their point of view is God's in charge. God will do everything. Our job is to walk in love. And I kept coming back to God. That's what the Bible says. Walk in love. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Amen, brother. (laughs) Okay. Well, I I think we pretty much hit the end of the hour here, Scott. So um, I really uh, love talking to you. Uh, You're uh, a a great friend and uh, a true Christian. And uh, maybe maybe you should quickly plug your book before you sign off. Oh, God bless you, Kevin. Shellgamewhistleblower.com shellgamewhistleblower.com. It's kind of an amazing story. It's from that literature of 9-11 whistleblowing. I'd love to teach a course in that if I get rehired in six or eight decades. All right. Well, thank you so much, Scott Bennett. Take care. God bless. Kevin, God bless. This is Scott Bennett. Kevin Baird here. Jihad.com is the website. See you all next week. Same time, same channel. Inshallah. Radio.